Sometimes it's like lonely is in my joints and muscles. It's in my head. It's like loneliness is in my genes. I can't get away from it. I'm 66, single, and a mother of two sons. They're exceptionally devoted and attentive, but they're not perfect. I work full-time at a large bank, have strong family and friend relationships, and I know that I'm deeply loved by God, family and friends. And even my boss loves me. But it isn't enough sometimes, and there is just this lonely hole in my heart. At some points in our lives, and often throughout our lives, we struggle with the unconnected, isolated, rejected, unwanted feeling that is loneliness. It's one of those painful things about life that can wear us down. And so what can we do about loneliness? Well, on this Discover the Word podcast, the group is going to explore how Scripture tells the tale of why loneliness first appeared on the planet and how we might be able to find help and actually become unlonely. Be part of this conversation on the Discover the Word podcast, beginning next. And welcome to Discover the Word, the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries. And the group you'll be studying with includes Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry. Now, Rasul is a fairly recent addition to the Our Daily Bread Ministries staff, and he'll be rotating in as part of the group on a more regular basis moving forward. So Elisa is going to be leading this study called Unlonely. She has a brand new book called You Are Not Alone, Six Affirmations from a Loving God. And these conversations will fit well with the content of that book. And I'll tell you about how you can get a copy of the book later on in the podcast. But in this first conversation, they're going to kind of talk about why we feel so alone, where that started, and if there's any hope for a solution to our loneliness, any hope for our ever becoming unlonely. Let's listen. I want to ask a question that's contextual, but we've been surprised at how long the context has gone on, and that's this question. How have you seen the global pandemic affect people around you? Well, I think, uh, you know, some of that might depend on where you live because different places had different levels of restrictions and so forth. But I think, for instance, of my friends and colleagues in the UK, where they've been almost under total lockdown for over a year. And um, it was just uh, very trying for many of them because it really was total. Yeah. Yeah, and I can think of just a variety of responses from those who continue to feel like it's not as big of a deal as people are making it out to be to those who have completely mm-hmm. shut down and been hanging out in their homes and being very protective. And if they do go out, taking it very seriously and then all of the in-between between those yeah. two and how much tension that's caused in relationships mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. disagreement on how we should deal with the pandemic and just so many other layers as well. Mm. Yeah, I remember my daughter's birthday is uh, March 26th. And so she was kind of part of that first wave Mm. of people who experience not being able to celebrate their birthday. And we have a tradition, you know, of really 
doing usually a big party <laughs> for a birthday and it just wasn't possible yeah. and you know we were on zoom and mm-hmm. which you know was helpful but it definitely was a sense of loss and i think especially for those first group of people those march babies when those things mm-hmm. it was like man this is real like i have a birthday yeah. and i can't celebrate with those who i want to be around or i can't go out and so i just remember the deep sense of disappointment mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. disconnection um from that totally with you russell my daughter's birthday was march 28th mine's in april so yeah i totally get it and bottom line you know the pandemic affected us financially it affected us spiritually it affected us you know mentally it affected us in so many ways but one of the big takeaways that especially mental health experts have pointed out is that loneliness was increasing. But in 2020, 2021, we're seeing loneliness becoming an epidemic within an epidemic. Mm. You know, loneliness is becoming its own epidemic. Mm. In fact, a survey that happened actually before the pandemic revealed that nearly 50% of Americans feel alone. 46% feel lonely. Sometimes they're always 47% feel left out. Sometimes they're always isolated from others, a lack of companionships, their relationships lack meaning. It's sobering Mm. and kind of heartbreaking to look at. In fact, America is one of the top three loneliest countries. Mm -hmm. Surprising, maybe. Yeah, Elisa, one of the things that brings to mind is even before the pandemic, I was leading our team here that focuses on ministry to those in their 20s and 30s. And Barna Group had done a big study for those between the ages of 18 to 35 and found that one of their primary felt needs for people within that age group is they feel globally connected through technology, but relationally isolated. Oh, that's good, Daniel. And so they don't feel like they have those good, close relationships uh, Mm -hmm. or feel rooted or connected to those around them. So uh, with the pandemic, of course, that only increases that. What felt like isolation before became very experiential Mm -hmm. as people really were cut off. I mean, we all know stories of people who go to the grocery store just so that they can talk to the checker, just so they have somebody who will say hello to them. And I mean, when you get into this pandemic type thing that you're discussing, Mm -hmm. Elisa, it just takes it all and ramps it up to an almost unbearable level, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good point, um, Bill. And what you're doing is highlighting the fact that it's really not a new issue, but it has been hyperbolized. You know, it's like hugely popped right now in what we've been going through and how our whole culture has changed. Actually, in 1843, here's a quote from a magazine, it can be an affliction more harrowing than homelessness, hunger, or disease. And she's writing about loneliness. You know, mm. And that's from, you know, 150, almost 200 years ago. But it actually goes back a lot further than that, because mm. we see loneliness throughout the pages of scripture. We've had conversations about loneliness before. In fact, we did a two-week conversation called You Are Not Alone, where we talked about the types of loneliness and how God speaks to our needs that create loneliness. But this week, we want to go highly in a practical aspect and look at what overall things do we see scripture addressing that help us get a handle on loneliness? And I'll even put it this way, that help us become unlonely. Hmm. You know, How does the story of scripture help us become unlonely. So today I want to take us back to the beginning on how humankind became lonely in the first place. Just look at the context of a couple of chapters in the book of Genesis where loneliness 
first appeared on the scene. In Genesis 2, we're going to see God putting his finger and identifying on the topic that really is the core. And let's go to Genesis 2, verses 18 to 20. And again, we're looking at the big story of the Bible this week. So what do you see popping out of this passage? And Russell, can I get you to read that? Genesis 2, 18 to 20. Sure. Verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. What was God's solution to this? As he says in verse 18, it is not good for the man to be alone. And and we can really understand there he's talking about Adam specifically, but he's representing humankind. It's not good for them to be alone. And he looks at all the animals, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. What's he really getting at and what's God's solution? Well, I think first of all, Lisa, it's interesting to me to think about, did Adam realize he was alone until... (laughs) God paraded the animals in pairs, and he realized everything had a counterpart except him. I wonder if he was even aware of his aloneness until he saw the togetherness that others were experiencing. And even right before that, Bill, just how shocking it is in the narrative to hear God talk about how good all of these things are. Mm -hmm. And then for the first time, we see something not good. Mm -hmm. And that's before sin, death, brokenness enter the story, that there's something not good. And that's that Adam is alone. And tweak this because we're going to hear this from our own hearts and from our lonely friends. Adam is with God. Mm -hmm. He's already with God. And yet God's saying it's not good for him to be alone. That's going to be something I want us to chew on as we go through this week. So it's not good. And so God, we know the solution is that he creates Eve. He creates a helper, an azer, someone who is a suitable helper for him, a perfect complement to his being. Okay, we know the story. Adam and Eve then go on and pull away from God. They disobey as one prohibition to not eat of this particular tree in the garden that will make them like God, if you will. And I want us to look just for a second at the result of their choice, Genesis 3. The section is verses 6 to 10. But Daniel, could you just pick up verse 10? And what does Adam say when God comes into the garden looking for him? Yeah, so we see that the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, which all of us can relate to because we've seen food before that was really exciting to us. And as a result, they disobey God's protective instruction that he gave them to not eat of that tree and they eat of it. And as a result, Adam experiences what he says was fear. I was afraid Mm -hmm. because I was naked, so I hid. And so he tries to hide from God. Mm -hmm. He's been with God, as we've said, and then God created Eve as his companion to be with him. They then pull away. And this word, he hid, pops off the page to me. That word really means to conceal. It has the concept of secrecy. Hmm. And what really is interesting to me is it also has the concept of becoming hardened, Hmm. withdrawing, separated. 
That's so fascinating to me. We know that he's going to become ashamed and et cetera, and he runs, and they have consequences given to them, consequences like death, which could be eternal separation kind of a thing. They slide away further. And humankind in that moment experienced and entered this pain of alone that would shape our days for all time to come. And we see that reality of the pain alone threading through scripture. I mean, just thinking about some of the examples, Hannah wailing in loneliness without a child, Mm -hmm. or Moses being prepared for ministry, but for 40 years and enduring a desert experience. Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, cut off from their livelihood and having to go back to another country. Job, Elijah, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, Paul in the desert in preparation, John imprisoned on Patmos, Jesus in the garden. I think our understanding of how to become unlonely begins with recognizing that I am alone, that I have loneliness, and that I need to own that pain of alone and come to the one who provides a way out for it. And that's where we're going to be going. Um, I don't want to normalize loneliness without saying as well, there is a way out as we recognize it and own it and bring it to the one who truly understands it and actually gave his son to provide a way out of it. I feel lonely when there's no one to talk to. And when I believe no one really understands me or cares to, that's a pretty lonely feeling. I think a lot of my loneliness comes from being the only one in my family that cries out to God. And I desperately want someone at home to pray with me. My heart aches because it feels like I'm carrying this burden alone. Do you think loneliness can actually make you sick? You know, sick, physically ill. Well, I know it can make you heart sick, but I think of that as more an emotional thing. You know, I don't know. I've never experienced loneliness to that level of intensity. I think the way she asked the question makes me want to go with yes, (laughs) especially (laughs) considering the series that we're in. But that would not be because I am educated on it, but that... Yeah, I'm going to go you know, with yes. What it reminds me of, I don't have pets, but I've seen this with other people where there's like two dogs and then one of the dogs pass away and you just see this like oh. won't mm-hmm. eat, you know, yeah. just kind of sit there and even will be next to where <laughs> the lost one would be. And there was just this, you know, sense of like sickness. And I think yeah. sometimes a loss of appetite, a loss yeah. of just, yeah. you know, so yeah, I think so. Well, you know what, Rasul, now that you've said that, you've got me thinking, which is dangerous, by the way, but I'm going to do it anyway. I remember when I was pastoring, we had a, a fairly substantial senior adult population in our church. And I remember being surprised at how, not always, but how regularly these senior adult couples, when one person passed, mm-hmm. it was like within a matter of six months, the other one who seemed so healthy before was also gone. And it was almost like they just could not abide life without that person. There you go, Bill. What a great illustration. There are all kinds of research on this. Um, Just a lack of close face-knit relationships can lead to high blood pressure and heart disease and stroke and even cancer. And some study, this is crazy, said that loneliness can have the same impact as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It's it's just kind of, we don't think of it that way. 
But this struggle that nobody really knows me, nobody really loves me, nobody really gets me, the struggle of loneliness impacts us so deeply. And we want to be really practical here. We start off looking at the condition of the pain of alone that really came into being in the garden, you know, as humankind was separated, withdrawn by hiding from our creator and enmity within each other began as well, you know, between each other began as well. And we're just trying to offer, looking at the arc of scripture, looking at the big story of the Bible, offer some handles on how we can actually become unlonely. And the first one we looked at yesterday was to recognize the pain of alone. What its real source is, is our condition. But we want to move on today to see what solution does our good God offer to us to deal with this pain. And we're going to go into a super familiar text, (laughs) but it tells a story. And it's John 3, 16 to 17. In order to go there, let's look at the context for a second. And can somebody just net out what are these beautiful verses really contained within? What kind of story and who are the characters? Yeah, so Jesus has been uh, teaching. And as a result of his teaching, a lot of attention is coming to him. And specifically attention from Pharisees and Sadducees and teachers of the law who some are beginning to get uncomfortable with what he's saying, and some are trying to figure him out. And mm-hmm. we've actually had a few experts on the show point out that in a Eastern culture, to ask someone a question out loud is to challenge them in a way to try to point out that they're wrong. But in this story, Nicodemus, who's one of these Pharisees, comes to Jesus alone, just the two of them kind of indicates that he's trying to really learn from Jesus and try to understand what this teaching is that Jesus is trying to bring uh, to the world. And so Nicodemus asks him a bunch of questions and Jesus and him go back and forth talking about what it means to be born again. And Nicodemus asks, well, how am I supposed to get back in my mother's womb? I don't think that's going to work out too well. (laughs) And Jesus begins to explain (laughs) it's uh, by being born of the Spirit. And so that's kind of the context where this happens. That's good, Daniel. It's really interesting that scholars are divided because, I mean, ancient Greek didn't have any punctuation. So everything just ran together. And uh, scholars are divided, and as a result, translations are divided as to whether John 3.16, which you're pointing us to, was a continuation of Jesus's comments to Nicodemus or whether Jesus's comments had ended and now we're getting John's commentary Mm. on Jesus's comments. And it's one of those things we don't have an answer to, but it's really interesting to think of it both ways. What if it was Jesus? Then why does it matter? What if it's John? Why is he trying to help us with this? So it's just kind of an interesting puzzle. You know, Russell, how about if you just read the verses now? This is John 3, 16 to 17, and let's listen for God's solution to the pain of alone. For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life for god did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him so if we're looking through the lens of this part of the story of scripture what do these words what does this story what does this circumstance and nicodemus is questioning and jesus slash john answering What do they teach us? What do they help us understand about loneliness? Well, for all of those people who are sitting there thinking, yeah, I'm one of those who feels like no one loves me. There is someone who loves you. 
whether you understand that or not, whether you believe that or not, the scriptures offer you hope that there is a God who loves you and he loves you so much that he was going to the most extreme measures in order to be in relationship with you. Yeah, I think about the aspect of how this ties into this refrain that you hear in scripture, like going back to Joshua, when Moses dies and God tells him in Joshua 1, you know, Moses, my servant is dead. Now be courageous. And then he says, I will be with you mm-hmm. like I was with Moses. So there's this affirmation of God's mm-hmm. own presence, you know. And again, when another tragedy befalls and the crucifixion occurs and, and the resurrection and even after the resurrection, Jesus is about to ascend. Mm-hmm. And he says, lo, I will be with you mm-hmm. always. That's so good, Russell. We're going to look at those um, scriptures, too. That's so powerful. What you're seeing is this love that God had for us in our separation from him. You see, he loves us so much that he himself provides the solution. When we feel unloved, he provides a solution of love. In verse 17, he didn't send his son in the world to condemn, but to save, 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 save the world through him. And that salvation really speaks to our condition of aloneness, doesn't it? It speaks to all of our elements that we carry around in our brokenness. But if you look at that specifically in relationship to the pain of alone, the solution of God giving his son that we can be in constant relationship with him, loved by him, that changes everything, doesn't it? Yeah. Now, Elisa, just to push back a little bit on this section, we don't really see the concept of alone or loneliness in these verses, or do we? Am I missing that there? No, you could dig down, Daniel, and talk about Nicodemus, who he was. Did he ever feel lonely, etc.? I really want to keep us, like you're saying, at the high level of the story. Mm-hmm. We've gone from Genesis, where humankind became separated from God, all the way to John. And there's this arc of story of God wanting to rescue humans from ourselves. And we look at the story truly of the gospel, of God's provision for us in this story with Nicodemus. It's one example. And I think these words of John 3, 16 and 17 are so often pulled out and just used all by themselves. And they can be in some ways. I mean, there is a great truth simply expressed in those words. When you look at them in the context of the conversation that Nicodemus is having with Jesus, there is a fuller, yes, the expression of God's cure for our struggle with sin, but also Nicodemus's experience of the hope that Jesus provides for his own loneliness and sin and pain. So great question, Daniel. Yeah, I think God's rescue for us is holistic. And I think one of the real pressure points where we feel the need for that is when we do feel lonely. I mean, I think about Billy Joel's song, The Piano Man, where he talks about the people at the bar and he says, they're sharing a drink that's called loneliness, Mm. but it's better than drinking alone. Mm. I mean, that's the human condition. And the cross is there to rescue us from all of that stuff, including loneliness. Yeah. And I think for me, it's the God so love motivation that he gave and then specifically sent. And so what going back to what we discussed last time about the fall, creating the sense of alienation, that sin isn't just a moral dilemma, but it's also Mm -hmm. a relational brokenness that occurs Mm -hmm. holistically. And so when God decides to send Emmanuel, God with us, the communal relational dynamic actually repairs 
relational mm, brokenness true. as well as redeems moral failure and makes one whole and right with God. I think it's an all-inclusive mm. type of salvation deliverance that also means delivering us from being alone. Yeah, it's helpful. So as we started out asking the question, can loneliness make us sick? <laughs> Truly, as we separated from God, we became sick, you know, spiritually sick. Yeah, loneliness can. And we have the cure presented in John 3. The story of Nicodemus, the story of the gospel is expressed succinctly there. So as we look at the big question of how do we become unlonely, we recognize that we are under the plight of loneliness from the garden where loneliness entered and the pain of alone became a part of our lives. But at the same time, the second way we can become unlonely, and it's key to everything, is that we go to God and we understand that just as the loneliness can make us sick, God can save us from it, heal us from it, redeem us from it, rescue us from it, and give us another way to live in a relationship where we may feel no one really loves us, but indeed someone does. In fact, they've loved us so much that they've gone to the ends of the universe for us. Jesus on the cross for you and me. talking about the pain of alone in this episode of the Discover the Word podcast and what we can do about it, how we can deal with the isolated, rejected, unwanted feeling that is loneliness. It's a struggle for all of us, but we're finding that the scriptures speak into how we can actually become unlonely. And in the next segment, we're going to talk about what it means to practice God's presence with us, what that means. After this word about a new book, Elise has written about this subject called, You Are Not Alone. What do you do when you feel lonely? Drown the silence with noise? Binge watch a new series? Eat a bag of chips? Well, you're not the only one. Loneliness has become an epidemic, especially in the times where social distancing has forced us away from each other. Our hearts are hurting. Thankfully, we are never really alone. God's promise to be with us remains. And I remind you of that in my new book, You Are Not Alone. You'll find six affirming reminders about God's person, his plan, presence, provision, promise, and purpose. I hope you'll be encouraged by the presence of God in your life. Check our discovertheword.org website for a link or go to store.ourdailybread.org slash not alone. That's store.ourdailybread.org slash not alone to get your copy of You Are Not Alone. And now part three of this episode called Unlonely with Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry on the Discover the Word podcast. I feel lonely when it feels like my love bank has had more taken from it than deposited into it. Life is overwhelming, and even when I ask for help, I don't always get it. And so that makes it feel one-sided and alone. I've been divorced for almost two years after being in a difficult marriage for 20 years. I do miss being married. I feel so lonely when I see how difficult it is to even think about dating again. I'm overwhelmed sometimes with feeling like life will never be normal again. I just don't know how in the world I could ever meet anyone. So I guess I'm just destined to be alone. 
You know, I want to ask you to dig around in your memories here, and you might have to go to your feelings, which is a challenge. I know it sometimes, <laughs> but think, when have you really tasted loneliness? Okay, I'm going to have to drill down a little bit for this. When I was graduating from high school, I'd been dating a girl, and about a week before prom, she broke up with me. And I found out later that the whole time we were dating, she was also seeing somebody else and it was a big mess anyway. So all of a sudden on the big night, I was probably the only kid in the senior class sitting at home that night. That's so honest and raw. Can I stop now? Yes, you can. (laughs) You can. Thank you. Honestly. Okay. Anybody else? Yeah, mine also to draw out traumatic experiences uh, from a time ago, but it's probably one of the most devastating. I I mentioned to you guys before we started recording that baseball was my first love, but it didn't love me back. So I had the classic (laughs) scenario, seventh grade, bases loaded, bottom of the ninth, two outs, me up, down by three. And um, I didn't realize people experienced me as being a little obnoxious because I had a lot of Phillies paraphernalia that I had gotten from going to a lot of games. And I would do my whole little pregame Mike Schmidt routine like I was, <laughs> you know, like I was a star. So people that rubbed people the wrong way. But in any case, strike one, strike two, ball comes, closing my eyes and swinging. So that shows you how good I was. <laughs> and the back cracks. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I did it. And I open my eyes and the ball is on home plate you know, get tagged out, game is over. And they start chanting a profane version of Mike Schmidt at me as I walk off the field, both my team and the other team. And I like leave in tears. And I remember sitting on this curb, just like kind of crying and just being like, I'm alone right now. Okay, Daniel, what about you? I think at this point, I've decided we have enough examples. (laughs) And you don't don't want to go there. No, I... There's a few floating around in my head. One was on a missions trip to Romania. My family and my high school sweetheart, who's now my wife, was at home. And I had been doing great, not feeling homesick or anything. But I hadn't really connected with anybody that we were working with over there yet. And we were on a break on a weekend, and I checked my email. And I had this email from my girlfriend that said, Hey, I won't be available much this weekend because I'm going with your family down to watch the Braves play and uh, go to Bass Pro Shops, which are two of my favorite things. And I just remember feeling so alone Mm. because they were having this party in Atlanta watching my favorite baseball team, speaking of baseball, Rasul. (laughs) Yeah, I just remember feeling so alone and homesick for that whole weekend as I thought about all the fun they must be having and I'm not connecting with anyone. And here I am doing God's work and I'm all alone and... Yeah. Mm-hmm. This strong feeling that you're all expressing, and thank you so much. And there was another feeling that emotion that trickled through, and that's a strong feeling of rejection and of isolation, another one. And you can keep layering them mm-hmm. in, in such a way that, wow, it's incredibly painful. As we continue looking at how does the story of the Bible, how does God's amazing intervention in humankind speak to our condition? of loneliness. We've seen we need to recognize it, that God's provided a cure for it. So we need to go to God. And today we want to look at the real tangible help that comes when we feel so alone, which is to practice God's presence 
in that loneliness. You know, it may be that you feel lonely in the hospital. I think that's a super lonely place, especially during pandemic times when people couldn't visit. Or maybe when you're in a, a, another country where you don't speak the language. Or maybe after the death of a loved one or a breakup of a relationship. But when we feel those things, what does God provide for us? What kind of tangible help? And so I want to take us to a section of scripture, and it's in John 14. And I want us to think about what difference does God's provision of himself make in our loneliness. Let's read John 14, 16 and 17. Maybe Daniel, you can grab that. And then Bill, could you pick it up in John 14, 25 to 27? Sure. And you know, just in the context of this conversation, it's already popping a little bit, Elisa, I think where you're going, because this is the section where Jesus is telling his disciples, you're not alone yet, but you're going to feel like you're alone very soon, but I'm going to send somebody to help you. So that's good. Yeah, let's listen in. Yeah. John 14, verse 16, and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. Okay, then, Bill. Okay, verse 25. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Wow. He knows we're going to be, and Daniel, as you just said, he knows that the disciples are going to be experiencing trouble in just a few hours. But he talks about what he is providing for us within the pain of alone. And he calls this person, the the Holy Spirit, the advocate. What's an advocate? Well, it's a word that it really means somebody who comes alongside to help. Okay. Okay. I'm struck by verse 16. He says, I will help you. I'll be with you forever. This advocate will be. Verse 17, he's a spirit of truth. Mm-hmm. You'll know him for he'll live within you. Verse 26, he'll teach you and remind you of everything that you've been taught. Mm-hmm. This is where the actual practical everyday release from loneliness is provided for mm-hmm. in our relationship with God. And that simply is this, is practicing his presence, leaning into the Holy Spirit, the gift that Jesus leaves us as he leaves. Mm. What does that do for us in these, these tangible illustrations of loneliness that we've all been talking about? Well, you know, Elisa, in my situation, when I was a senior in high school, I did not yet know Christ. So I had no spiritual resources to pull back on. But what I'm struck by is all the turbulence and stuff that I felt in my heart at that time. What Jesus is saying in John 14, especially that last verse that you had me read, is that Jesus offers peace. Yeah, Mm -hmm. That's, to me, the real gift that the Spirit brings to us. Yeah, and that's where the language of him being an advocate and helper is so helpful (laughs) because, you know, oftentimes in those situations, we try to conjure peace or make it happen and we can't, like we can't force ourselves to feel peaceful. It's truly a gift of God to experience peace. And um, I was actually just reading in a book 
a different translation of these words. I think it was the author's Mm. translation. He worded it as, my own peace I give to you, a peace the world cannot give, this is my gift to you. And so this language of God actually giving us a gift, and what is that gift? It's the gift of his peace that comes from his spirit, who is our helper. Mm. And if we talk about that in the context of feeling alone, there couldn't be anything more counter to our experience than feeling peaceful in a moment of loneliness. And yet that is what God offers through his presence. Yeah, that's good. And it reminds me of the broader context of John 14 again. I mean, think about it. You were friends with (laughs) Jesus for three years, you know, and now he's leaving and he's saying, don't worry, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm not leaving you alone. I'm leaving you with Mm -hmm. someone, the Holy Spirit, who will be a comfort, who will Mm -hmm. be a counselor, who will be a helper. Mm When I think about that is the basis for the peace, is that the peace is practicing God's presence uh, with us in the form of the Holy Spirit. But the other part to that that has helped me, even when I think of the word counselor, I think of the practical implication of that in terms of those around us who can also be comforters, who can also be helpers, going back to Genesis chapter 2, and then who can also be counselors. And I know in my own journey, I've needed all of the above. I've needed friends who've comforted. I've needed, you know, helpers who've assisted. And then I've also needed counselors, like actually therapy, counseling sessions to help me work through that. And I think God reveals and prepares and offers at our full disposal, both from a human standpoint and the spiritual standpoint, every dynamic of those roles. And that's how we can have a basis for peace. Yeah, sometimes that's the way he provides that peace is by providing someone who can put an arm around our shoulder and walk with us. So can we practice that understanding of his presence in a daily manner? You know, Mm. Sky Jathani wrote a book called With, and he talked about that God is present with us. And I like to think about things really practically like, the spirit being with me in my car, you know, Jesus being with me in my car as I drive or as I'm getting ready in the morning or as I'm having a conversation, he's in the room with me. Can we practice the reality that God has promised not to leave us alone? He's promised to provide the peace that comes through his presence ongoingly. Although Jesus had to leave, as you said, Daniel, as he left, promised his presence and the peace that comes with us to deal with our feelings of incredible loneliness. And in those times where that doesn't feel real to us, I think the invitation here as well is to lean on the helper, the spirit, and say, I don't feel your presence and I don't feel that peace. Will you come and be present with me and fill me with your peace? feel so lonely when I haven't heard from anyone for several days. Is it that easy to forget about me? Am I that unimportant to them? I've been struggling with these really bad feelings of loneliness for probably the last six years or so. I love to stay busy and be around people, but it's kind of shocking to me when I'm in a group setting with people, people I love and like, and this feeling of loneliness sweeps over me. I sit and think they don't really know me deep down. They should, but I'm not convinced that they do. I often just check out and make an early departure, and no one can understand why, since I'm often the person who organized the gathering. Do they really know me? If so, wouldn't they know my favorite color and song and flower or book? It's actually kind of baffling that the people I spend the most time with 
create a loneliness in my soul. Maybe you can count on your hands for this. You might need your toes too, but how many friends do you guys have, each of you? Are you talking about Facebook friends, real friends? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, followers. Yeah, I'm yeah. all into followers. Yeah, that's where I was going too, Daniel. I think it depends on how you define friend. I mean, because there are a lot of people that I know and I like them. And as far as I know, they don't hate me. But the reality is, how many friend friends do I have? I've got Marlene. Okay. She's my best friend, and she's the one person in the world that I can talk to about anything, anytime. And to me, if you define a friend that way, yeah, I've got her. Yeah, this is a test that I came up with, you know, for me a few years ago when I kind of asked this question, like, who is a friend? If there was some tragedy that befell you, right, and you needed someone to drop everything and to come to your support, right, that was not a blood relative, who would that be? Mm-hmm. Like, how many people could you say, okay, if you had one call to make, you know, if you got yeah. arrested and it was like this one call, who you yeah. got to make it count, who would it be? And I think when I think about it that way, I think uh, three. Hmm. I feel like three is the answer as well. I can think of, and maybe it's a few more, but some of them are stretched further away from where I live now. And so as willing as they would be, it might take them a little while to get there. Um, but yeah, just a very small handful of people that are that connected, that invested. And maybe the other question too that I would say is if I was starting to really mess up on some things in my life, who are the people that love me enough to call me out in mm-hmm. a way that's both loving and helpful? <laughs> and, yeah. um, and that would be a really small group as well. I appreciate those qualifiers. Those are helpful to help us think. And as I look at my life, I think I would have different numbers of friends at different seasons of life. Mm. You know, when I was a single or a teen, you know, I might have said five to 10 kind of friends. As a young married, maybe five, you know, as an older woman, when my dearest treasured, trusted friends begin to leave this planet, you know, maybe one, you know, it's so I think sometimes it's seasons of our lives. It's interesting that the number of friends people actually report today is one or none. Mm. Whereas 20 years ago, people might name about four. Yeah, I remember years ago, reading a study, Elisa, to your point, that basically, the average person only has five substantial friendships in their entire lifetime. Hmm. And so those might be spread out and overlap from time to time. But still, you're talking about at any point in time, you might be in the one or none category. And if we go down and use those qualifying questions that Daniel and Russell, you know, you guys brought up, you know, that helps us really refine it. Because as we're talking about this kind of friend today, we're inserting this definition of friend within the overall conversation about loneliness. So about who's not left me alone, who is with me in life. And you know, one of our struggles with loneliness is we want somebody to fix it. Mm-hmm. You know, you want somebody to come be with us, you know, in a given mm-hmm. moment and take it away. This has been a conversation that's been looking at the pain of alone, the experience of loneliness. And we've had many conversations about loneliness. We did a, a longer conversation called You Are Not Alone a while back. But in this conversation, we're looking at how the arc of Scripture, the big story of the Bible, what we have in our relationship with Jesus that God has provided for us, how the reality of God in our lives addresses our experience of loneliness, and specifically how we can practically, if you will, 
move towards becoming unlonely because we're in relationship with God. So just to review for a second, the first thing we looked at was just recognizing the reality of the pain of alone that came when we fell and broke and were separated from God. And then we looked at God's cure for loneliness, which is he makes it possible for us to have an ongoing permanent relationship with himself. And then in our last conversation, we looked at practicing God's presence. He promises the Holy Spirit to bring us peace, even in our loneliness. And and today, I want to go to the the real reality of people, the difference that people can make in our loneliness, especially as we turn outward towards people. Let's look at the principle of the difference that people make. And there are many passages we could go to. You might think of Romans 12 and the body of Christ. You, You might think of various scriptures like in James, but I want us to go to, just for a few minutes, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 10, and let's read that. And before we do so, can somebody net out, what is the big point of Ecclesiastes 4? Well, the biggest message of Ecclesiastes is the futility of life lived on the world's terms. I mean, if we try to live life in accordance with the thinking and the value of the world system that we're in, then life is empty. But when we seek to live life on God's terms, that gives meaning and fullness and purpose and significance and all those things. That's a great summary, Bill, because it really lays out this platform we're going to look at loneliness on. Okay, Could somebody grab chapter 4, verses 9 and 10? Sure. It says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. I feel like I've heard that verse at a few weddings. If either of them (laughs) falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Well, that last part of the verse really echoes the whole feeling of alone, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Uh, Someone falls and has no one to help them up. Those are biting words. Yeah, and you know, we started this conversation talking about people and friendships, but there are times when people experience that deep loneliness when they're even in a relationship, right? Where they describe it as, I'm with someone, but I feel alone. Mm-hmm. And so even more so, Bill, as you're describing that, I'm thinking of that person who feels like yeah. there is someone there and they know that that person won't help them up. How lonely that would be. That's a different kind of loneliness, isn't it, Daniel? Yeah. That's really powerful. The writer is basically saying we can do more together than alone and friends can provide comfort. But Bill, to your point, the big idea is that without God, really life is very futile. And so life with others is the solution to it. But what you just said, Daniel, in pointing out that the reality is that without the experience of God and others, we really are hurting, aren't we? Right. We really experience loneliness. And I think it shows how just metaphorically the pits that we can fall in, not every person or friend are qualified to help get us out of them. Mm. And so later on in the passage, it talks about if two can lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though a man might prevail against one who is alone two will Mm. withstand him, right? So that's a very specific fighting kind of battle scenario. And not everybody, you know, I don't know if you want me to be that other person (laughs) to fight with you. I don't know if I'm qualified, but there's other people who can. And so I think when I think about life, like there's, if there's a financial difficulty or concern or questions, theological ones, just emotional ones, sometimes it's helpful to remember, Mm. I need the right person to figure out how to get me out of that pit. It's interesting, Rasul, as you're talking about that, one of my favorite all-time stories, and I don't know where it originated, 
there was a guy who fell into this hole and he was down in the bottom of the hole and he had no way out and he was yelling for somebody to help him and a minister walked by and he heard him crying out for help and he wrote a prayer and dropped it down into the hole and the guy just kept yelling i need somebody to help me i need somebody to help me and a doctor walked by and wrote him a prescription and dropped it down into the hole and that didn't help and he just kept crying out somebody i need somebody to help and then his best friend came by and jumped into the hole and the guy said are you nuts now we're both stuck in here he said no i've been here before and i know the way out Mm. and that's this having someone to help them up in that moment Okay, so we've underlined the fact that we can become unlonely when people help us out of our holes, when people warm us, when people do the labor with us. When we don't have any people, how can we become unlonely? And I just want to remind us of a previous conversation where we spent some time talking about Jesus's conversation in the upper room where he reminded his disciples that he would send a helper to them. And we talked about the peace that Jesus promised. In fact, let's just go back and read that verse. It's John 14, 27. Can somebody grab that? Sure. It says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. Okay, so Jesus promises peace. But now let's flip over to John 16, 33. Russell, do you have that? All right. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Anybody else have a different word than tribulation in their translation? Mine says trouble. In this world you will have trouble. And mine says persecution. Okay, there's lots of trouble there. And what I wanted to look at here, again, we're looking at the big story of the Bible. We understand that people make a difference in our loneliness. And that if, if, if we have one friend, one friend, that's huge. But in moments when we don't even have one friend, we have God. We have Jesus. And what he's talked to us about, and we've talked about this in a previous conversation, is that he will give us the peace that comes with his presence. But what I love here in looking at John 16, 33, is that he acknowledges that we're going to have trouble, persecution, Mm -hmm. tribulation in this world. And so can I just suggest, and I don't want to be Pollyanna here as we close this conversation, but can I just pop our thinking for a second? The peace that Jesus gives to us is the peace that our whole world needs in the trouble they will be facing as well. We're going to face it. They're going to face it. And so maybe if we can learn to turn the arrows of our lives around, in moments we're going to say, where's the help, God? Where's my person, God? Help me, God. I don't have anybody here, God. If we can remember that he is with us Mm. and that he has given us his peace, And can we turn that arrow around in such a way to acknowledge everybody needs somebody because everybody's got something that they're struggling with? How can we offer that peace to another? And in so doing, somehow in a crazy way, let God's presence come back to us in it. Isn't that the beauty of the body of Christ, Elisa? I mean, God knew the loneliness of our hearts. And so he didn't just save us and bring us into relationship with himself, which is great all by itself, but he also put us in a community Mm -hmm. so we could help one another as well. And I think that's the great part. 
Yeah. And that reminds me of when you talk about that tribulation, that trial, those issues. I think about Paul's words uh, in the last letter that we have from him in Second Timothy at the end. And he's in this position of writing to his mentee. But then at the end, he says, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in the ministry. And when I think about that, I'm like, there's this person who is this leader, is this vaunted person. And yet he's saying, get me help. Mm-hmm. You know, I need some folks to come alongside because... God, in addition to us knowing that he is his communicating to us that he's with us, has also given us the opportunity to, like the gentleman in Bill's story in that pit, to cry out for help. And that's something that there's no shame in. And in fact, we see that modeled very well by the Apostle Paul here. So maybe one way we can work through our lonely to become unlonely is to turn outward. You know, it is to both ask for the help that we need from others, as you're suggesting, but also realize everybody's lonely. Everybody's lonely. How can I touch their unlonely and in so doing help my unlonely? Yeah, you know, so often when we're feeling alone, our tendency is to isolate even more. But really, a much more helpful way to deal with loneliness is to think of ways to reach out to others because, like they said, everybody's lonely. There's nothing wrong with asking for help, and often in helping someone else, you also may be helping yourself. Turning outward can help us be unlonely. Well, the encouraging conclusion to this episode follows this word about a special guest joining us on the next Discover the Word podcast. On the next Discover the Word podcast, best-selling children's author Sally Lloyd-Jones is at the table with us to talk about and read from her book, The Jesus Storybook Bible. So the reason I wrote this book was for that little six-year-old to know the book isn't about what you're supposed to do. God always knew you'd never be brave enough and you'd never be strong enough. God loves you Mm -hmm. and he won't ever stop and that's the first thing you need to know. It is an amazing book for your children or your grandchildren to help them begin to understand what kind of book the Bible is. And as we'll discover, it's a great book for all of us. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. A memorable conversation with Sally Lloyd-Jones. You don't want to miss getting to know her and hearing her read excerpts from the Jesus Storybook Bible on the next Discover the Word podcast. And now, the conclusion of our conversation on Unlonely. I'm home alone, and the baby is crying, and his older brother is screaming and fussing. (laughs) Does anyone know how hard this is? Does anyone else go through this? I feel so alone and separated from people and life. Well, I feel lonely when I focus on the loss of companionship with my husband. He's been going through a long battle with cancer and treatments and doctor's appointments. And I think that's really changed his ability to relate 
as we did earlier in our lives together. I've really become more of his caretaker than a wife. And as he has become very dependent, our roles have changed. And that has caused resentment and divisions that I didn't expect. It's weird, but even when we're together, I feel alone. So how does loneliness play out in our growth as human beings? You know, how does God actually use loneliness in our lives? You know, when we look at characters in the Bible, Elisa, many times it is in those hothouse moments of loneliness where God more strongly connects with a person. I mean, you think of Elijah in the cave and battling with, I think, some real depression and loneliness and isolation. And it's there that God very profoundly connects with him uh, in relationship. And I think when we're surrounded by people and surrounded by activity and surrounded by stuff, it's easy to kind of let God drift to the margins in our experience. But it's in those times of isolation that we can really feel his presence more profoundly. Okay. Yeah, as an extreme extrovert myself, I find that I oftentimes try to escape loneliness or Mm -hmm. solitude, but really seeing that as a valued moment and experience for me to become aware of my Mm -hmm. thoughts, my inner world is something that is helpful. And that's where like journaling and things like that are good disciplines for me that I have to remind myself to do as because it's the opposite of my inclination. Mm -hmm. It's like the more people around the merrier. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. And the other thing too, I think that loneliness does that and at least one of the ways that God can use it is just to draw attention to the fact the world is not as it should be. And it's healthy and good for us at times to realize that things are broken. And oftentimes loneliness maybe is one of the most visceral ways that we experience that this isn't how it's supposed to be. The very fact that we're experiencing it, the fact that we're feeling it, the fact that we look around and see other people in relationships and we don't have those relationships. And just the weight of that emotionally, physically, spiritually can draw attention to the fact that this is not how it should be and praise Mm -hmm. God that he's doing something about it to fix that. You know, we spend a lot of time um, running from loneliness, but the reality is that loneliness may be the most core experience of our humanity. And if we see it as that way, maybe it is the very place that most reveals our need for God and then most attracts us Ooh. to the relationship that he died to provide mm. for us. It's, it's kind of mind-boggling when you look at it that way, but, but I think there's some truth there. We are looking at the big topic of loneliness, but in a very practical way in these conversations. How can we become unlonely? Can we just review for a second before we add in one more practicality here? We've been talking about how to become unlonely. And the first thing we said was we need to recognize and own our loneliness. What else have we said? What did that recognition actually, what does that reveal to us? Well, it reveals to us our need to go to God for the ultimate in relationship, the relationship that nothing else can really match. Okay. So we have been made alone by our own choices, you know, in humanity of stepping away from God. And and God really provides a cure for our loneliness and a relationship with himself. If we'll go to him, that's what his longing for Mm -hmm. us is to do. And then what else have we talked about? 
uh, practicing God's presence. Mm-hmm. And the amazing thing about us going to God is that he's already gone to us, you know, mm-hmm. and that he has sent his son. He has promised his presence with us always and that nothing can separate us from him. Yeah. And you know what jumps out to me as you're just saying that, Rasul, is one of the Christian practices from early Christianity on was intentional loneliness, quote unquote, but silence and solitude of actually going into the wilderness or finding space to be quiet and alone with God as a way to practice his presence and experience him with us. Daniel, that's a great illustration because what we're saying is that when we experience our loneliness, we really are close to the core of our need for God. So the discipline, the spiritual discipline of solitude, of aloneness reveals that to us, doesn't Mm -hmm. it? Yeah, and I think there's a little bit of a counterpoint to that too because Rasul said that he's an extreme extrovert. I'm an extreme introvert. And so, you know, during the COVID stuff, I joked around that Social distancing was my spiritual gift. (laughs) For those of us who are more introverted, we can get comfortable Mm. with not really intentionally building our relationship with God or one another. It can kind of be an escape hatch Mm -hmm. because we're actually more comfortable sometimes being alone. Okay, super helpful. Yeah, you know, the other thing too that's jumping out to me as we're getting to the end of these conversations, and maybe that's why, is if loneliness is one of the ways that God can help us recognize our need for him, then for anyone that doesn't want anything to do with God, the enemy's very strategy might be to keep them from feeling lonely Hmm. and surrounding them with people so that they don't have time Hmm. to experience their need for God. Interesting. It is. We had one more suggestion, and we looked at it in our last conversation, and that's turning outward, both mm-hmm. for ourselves to get help and also to actually be the solution for other people, to be God's presence to them. So we've covered a lot of ground. I want to end our conversation on this, and goodness, we could go on and on on it, but with one more suggestion, and that's really, as we started this out, to trust God to use everything for our good, even the lonely even those situations when we feel like we're cut off, even those times when we feel, as we've talked about in other conversations, rejected or unheard or unseen or unloved, even those. And and when I bring that up here in this context of how do we become unlonely, probably some but, but, buts come up or some experiences of scotch taping scripture over our lives come up. When have you felt that? Because there are some verses we have used, and I actually want to look at them for a second, I do think they teach that God uses everything, but they can feel trite. And the ones I'm talking about are Jeremiah 29, 11, so I want to ask somebody to read that, and Romans 8, 28, if somebody could read that. Let's start off with Jeremiah 29, 11. Okay, I'll take it. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And can we go ahead and throw Romans 8, 28 up here too? Sure. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Mm -hmm. We've talked before on the program about these two verses in particular and how they're, uh, Mm -hmm. Romans 8, 28, I think 
absolutely it teaches us that God uses everything and God can bring his good out of everything. But it, sometimes it's just so inappropriately and insensitively used. The Jeremiah 29 thing, I mean, it's speaking to Israel when they're getting ready to go into Babylonian captivity to let them know there's an end game here. Uh, hang on and trust me. And so in a general way, can Jeremiah 29? Yeah, but it doesn't mean you're going to get the job you want or the college scholarship you need. I mean, it's not promising the kind of things we try to make it promise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially when we start talking about the word prosper yeah. mm -hmm. and the way people take that sometimes to say that God's going to give me all the money that I want or all the success I want or all the fame I want because he promises to prosper me. And oftentimes the story of the scriptures show us people that if that's the criteria, they didn't prosper. Mm -hmm. And yet somehow they describe themselves as God blessing them. And so we have that um, counter narrative within the scriptures itself that says prosper must mean something different than we tend sure. to think it means. So how would you speak to this? And what can we count on when we're lonely, when we're stuck, when nobody understands us, when we feel like nobody's there helping us, etc.? What can we count on regarding all those circumstances around us? And why can we count on that? You know, Lisa, I go to a different text that's very similar to Romans 8.28, but my favorite Bible character is Joseph in the Old Testament. And I mean, you talk about lonely. He's sold into slavery by his own brothers. He goes to a country. He doesn't know the language. He doesn't know what the tasks are. Uh, I mean, he has to learn everything from scratch. And yet four times in Genesis 39, it says, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And I really think that in that experience of the Lord's presence in the middle of all that is what enabled him at the end of his story to look at those same brothers and say, you meant it for evil, but God meant mm, it for good. So good. And I really think that his loneliness was part of learning God's presence in that whole thing and seeing the good God could do even out of that evil thing. Yeah, I really think about the story of Job. It shows us this from various different angles. I mean, first two chapters, we get a bird's eye view of God's purposes that Job is not privy to in terms of this sense of all things working together for good or a sense of purpose in the pain. But then we also move in to seeing, which in many ways is probably the deepest trial, more than the loss of family, more than his own sickness, which is his own friends for days and chapters at a time, offering the exact wrong type of counsel and perspective and presence based on the misappropriation of who God was and probably even texts like we just observed. And in the midst of that, I think what that has to offer for us, and it's just never been lost on me that the person who has experienced some of the greatest suffering in the Old Testament, mm. we see as the greatest inspiration for those who are suffering. But it's like on the one end, you know, to have the sense of comfort and the confidence of God in his ways that Job has, and he's an inspiration. On the other, don't be like Job's friends who would have been better if they just were silent and said nothing versus a presence that tended to assume that they understood the big picture and they really didn't. And so I think he was probably more lonely than anybody. And he had his mm -hmm. closest friends there, but because they didn't understand and they were misrepresenting or misinterpreting him. And that's sometimes the deepest loneliness when you're alone, you know, you're with people, but they don't get you. And the fact that like God got him 
And it's really a comfort to know. And going back to Job, God always gets me. And so I'm never truly alone. When we look at scripture, we can get completely discombobulated by passages and stories that seem to cast God's character in an evil light. And we can become lost, especially when we're suffering. And so what I'm hoping this conversation leaves us with is a focus on our good God's character that is thread throughout scripture, that we see his compassion for us as we broke and his heart extended to rescue us from breakage and his incredible inclination to always lean towards what is good for us, which means drawing us back to himself. If we can look at every circumstance in that light, because that's the light of the big picture of the Bible, then maybe we can trust God to use everything, even the moments of loneliness, to bring us to an unlonely position. Yeah, God has a way of using even the most painful parts of life to bring us close to Him. This is the Discover the Word podcast with Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry. And I'd encourage you to check out Elisa's new book that is on this subject of loneliness. In this book called You Are Not Alone, Six Affirmations from a Loving God, Elisa helps you discover the importance of companionship and community, how to deal with loneliness that is out of your control, and how to take comfort in knowing that God never leaves you. You can find a link to this newly released book from our Our Daily Bread publishing group. Again, it's called You Are Not Alone by Elisa Morgan. Check our discovertheword.org website for a link or go to store.ourdailybread.org slash not alone. That's store.ourdailybread.org slash not alone. Our mission in all we do here at Discover the Word and Our Daily Bread Ministries is to make the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible understandable and accessible to people all around the world. And if you'd like to come alongside and partner with us in this ministry, we invite you to lend your financial support. Simply go online to discovertheword.org and click the Donate button. You'll see some options and you can give right there. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.